you've got mine. Hey, living is an art. You've got your easel and I've got mine. Hey, living is an art. You've got your brush and I've got mine. Hey, living is an art. Using the colors of the universe. Good morning. You're listening to Lift Your Spirits with Dina Marie. Every Friday here on 1150 AM KKNW, we'll be introducing you to fascinating people, fun places to visit, and activities that are guaranteed to lift your spirits. That's Clinton Fearon. Clinton Fearon. I saw him in concert, and he was on my show the next day. That was a lot of fun. (laughs) Okay, so... I love that man. So we're going to end the show with Clinton Fearon. Living is an art. Check him out. He's all over the place right now. Um, Joining me this morning is one of my dearest friends, Harris Dwayne Smith, Ph.D. Good morning. Good job. (laughs) I'm an MFA, not a Ph.D. Okay. I don't know what that means anyways. But thank you. (laughs) So how do you know me, Dwayne? I call him Dwayne. He goes by Harris Smith. Dwayne. And both. It's it's complicated, right? <laughs> um, so I, I met Dina when we were in middle school. They had just opened up um, a brand new, uh, ju- I say middle school, I guess it was a junior high technically. Back then it was seventh through ninth grade. I think they've changed it now. We're now it's seventh and eighth or sixth through eighth and ninth through 12th for high school. But it was a brand new uh, junior high school. So they took uh, students from Kenmore Junior High and students from Leota Junior High and put us at this brand new school. So no one really knew anybody. So it was quite an interesting time, especially in the middle of you know, being a teenager and dealing with hormones and all the different peer <laughs> pressures of life. So it it made it made us an interesting and unique group, which I think and I think you would agree with me, Dina, uh, tied us closer together. There wasn't clicks. Um, there, there wasn't really. Yeah. Just the way things worked out this socially, there wasn't really clicks. So we all just kind of got along. We didn't have that mindset at that time. For a whole year. And I think it was the eighth grade. Uh, like Again, we're now, I'm going to tell the story that you mm-hmm. came back into my life, our 30th reunion. I, mm-hmm. I saw you before that once at one reunion, but the 30th, uh, we got close. We had both been uh, separated or divorced at that time. And yeah. we started calling each other probably once a week, every other week, uh, kind of helped each other through some adversity. And for 10 years, Plus now we've been doing that, but you, you always say I'm your avatar or whatever for your Facebook page or something. He goes, get, get everybody together. So I did. I, that's my job to get people together. So I did a gathering and I think we've all been, you know, moving back and forth for the last 12 years, doing our best to, to keep in contact with each other, whether it's a phone call and we do meet in person probably mm-hmm. once a year, at least we've been doing that. Which is much better than once every 10 years, because unfortunately, we're at that season in our lives uh, where we're not getting any younger and tomorrow isn't promised. So, you know, I, I try to reach out to to the people that I'm close to that I that have had an impact on my life. And so when I'm home, home, Seattle's still home for me, even though I'm, I'm in Albuquerque right now. But when I go home, I try to see those people because, um, you know, it's been. They've had such an impact, a positive impact on my life. So it's always 
great to see my friends that are uh, near and dear to me. I was about say. to say, we just had our, our reunion a year ago. Oh my God, a year ago oh. we had our reunion. And you're right, there was a lot of pictures of people that are no longer with us. And that's that, mm. that kind of broke my heart. But I live that way anyways. You know, life is moving along very, very quickly. So I that's why I went to, after our uh, 30th, I got on a plane and went to Nebraska. And I hung out with you and your that's family. Right. And it was just a, a pleasure, a joy to see someone you're, you've known forever, you're the same person. You're just a dad running around driving your uh, daughter to the mall. It's <laughs> just like it, yeah. it was such a blessing. So I always say if you have someone cross your mind, that, that's God saying, give them a call. Bring them back in yeah. somehow, some way. And so we have this beautiful relationship. You brought your new wife of what, two years now? Uh, no, f- I three. Three years. Yeah. And you came to Whidbey yeah. Island last month, August. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So we're still, oh God, we had too much fun that day, didn't we? It was nice. It was. <laughs> we had, a, and they got to go to the beach with me too. So that was pretty cool to show my beach. But we team. didn't get in the water like the last time when I, when you and I went swimming <laughs> in the water. It's very rare that men go swimming with me. Dwayne is one of them. There's probably two others. <laughs> and he didn't cry. He swam. It was so much fun. I so, didn't shed one tear. Nope, not one. Yeah. And <laughs> even our, our kids have met each other. So that's really cool too. Yeah. We had a Christmas one year. That they all got to hang out. So you're my host, co-host today. Mm-hmm. Would you like yeah. to introduce our guests for this hour? Yeah, it would be my pleasure. I'd like <laughs> to introduce Wilson Edward Reed, PhD. Um, he has quite an interesting history um, dealing, uh, growing up in the Jim Crow era, which I cannot relate to whatsoever. So I'm I'm excited to to hear about his history, his story, the, the, the impact and how he went from, you know, a, a, a culture of, that was so oppressing to become the successful um, professor and PhD and living a positive and impactful life. So let's let's jump into this and hear what uh, <laughs> Dr. Dree had to say. Good morning, well, Dr. Reed. Good morning. Thank you for the um wonderful intro i I don't know what to say (laughs) well i'm going to start with you must have had a intuitive hunch or something because you just reached out to me and i think what maybe an hour later (laughs) i don't i don't know (laughs) i'm like you're on my show and Dwayne just left so guess what you guys are going to be together well i'm a rather spiritual guy so when i see um a radio host show about something spiritual I'm like, wow, that looks interesting. And plus, uh, me and my wife are coming up to uh, Seattle in November, and we're doing a couple of radio shows. And I'm part of a community here, the Center for Spiritual Living. So, you know, I'm uh, doing my best um, to uh, put the uh, Baptist stuff I grew up with, burning in hell and all that stuff, into something really, really positive. It's something I can live with daily rather than thinking about, you know, the devil in those guys. Do you know, do you know Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell? No, I don't. Okay, because they have the Mance and Mitchell show here on on air, and they were heavily involved in in the Seattle church there. I've heard of you. Yeah. Um, So basically, you and I talked a little bit, uh, and you both Mm -hmm. have went to school here on this side of the country. Um, Mm -hmm. And what what I think I want to get is, the thriving part. So tell us a little bit about your new book, Junebug. 
Tell us mm-hmm. a little bit about the book, but also we're going to go into the past and what, what you went through. And then I think by the time we're done with the show, I want to know how we lift our spirits and how we uh, thrive. And I think moving, I think I heard you say too, moving to this part of the country, you were you blossomed. And also I want to touch on women in your lives. <laughs> okay. Well, my book is dedicated to my mother, Willie B. Reed. And uh, Willie B. Reed and the women who raised me. So I was a guy that was raised by women. Mostly, I'm clear to this day what happened to all the men. So I won't theorize or offer any conspiracy theories of where were the men, right? But um, what I would like to do is, there's a quote that I found this morning. I got up two hours early um, that I think will help clarify quite a bit and engage is quite engaging. I applied for a job after riding on a bus for four, three or four days from Vicksburg, Mississippi to Seattle alone in 1969. I was escaping Mississippi. And there's a great, um, some great poetry here by a guy from Jackson, Mississippi, Richard Wright. I was leaving the South to fling myself into the unknown. I was taking a part of the South with me to translate into alien soil, to see if I could grow differently. If I could drink of new and cool rains, bend in strange winds, respond to the warmth of other suns, and perhaps to bloom. Richard Wright. Damn. So I've been working with that for years. And then there's a great Maya Angelou short. There's no greater agony than bearing an untold story. So this June bug is a journey. A little guy growing up, no running water in the house, outhouse, out back, and all that stuff. So what I'm doing is sort of, we call it Sankofa moments. What I'm doing is going back to the past the fetch, the best for the future. And I think that's where Simon comes in. That's what he's doing. It's going back to bring the best forward. So, so Simon Okello? Yes. God, you reached out to him. My arm hairs just went up. Simon is amazing. <laughs> just, just What a beautiful, beautiful dance. Gosh. Yes. I'm one of his clients now. We sent him some change yesterday. Wow. <laughs> We're going to be doing a podcast together. So Simon is from Kenya, and yes. he uh, was in a war, war. It was war. There was all kinds of horrible things happened to the, the women, women in his village, uh, his sisters and things, very bad things. So he took up boxing, and he started fighting back. And then he actually got um, into a gym working. He got a scholarship. Then he started being a DJ at this college, mm-hmm. and he had this um, music that all the people that were divided were listening to the same songs. Mm-hmm. So he, he did a festival and he said for two days, no one wanted to leave because as soon as they left, they would have to start killing each other again. And he was on the show last year. He is the most amazing man, but he does uh, all this um, teaching to children with music and art. And now he's, he's, he's almost a super 
star. He is a superstar. He just <laughs> did concerts all over the country. But he was in the studio last year. And he goes, Dina, thank you for reminding me of my story because I forgot. He's in the big, you know, Amazon sponsoring Microsoft. He goes, he literally mm-hmm. sat here and said, thank you for reminding us, the whole group, why we do what we do. So, yeah, going back is a good thing, right? To right. to heal, but also to learn. What have we what have we learned? So, Dwayne, you, you, you take it away. Yeah, well, I had so many questions after reading your your story, um, and and I don't even know which one to begin with. I, I guess first of all, I'd just like to know you're at where you're at some point in your life. I feel like for most of us, um, regardless of color, there's there is a point in your life where you could have went a completely different direction. Um, and it sounds like that journey to Seattle was part of that decision, but 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 could you just give us an insight into when did you make a, a conscious choice to say I could stay where I'm at, and your life would be completely different than from where it is now? Could you share a little bit of that with us, or if you remember consciously? That's right. That That's point? right. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Um, oh boy, I think the story is of one of my relatives. Um, Aunt Emma, uh, she was in the 1948 Olympics Mm -hmm. and she became famous and all that stuff. But when she'd come down to Mississippi, she was just a regular person. And I was chosen to go with her fishing up in the woods at a pond. And I would be the little guy and I was afraid of snakes. (laughs) I didn't like fishing, and I was like, okay, but I love Aunt Emma, all right? And she uh, would take me with her, and I would just sit there and throw rocks in the water and all that stuff, and she's like, okay, you need to be cool. (laughs) But most importantly, she imparted some knowledge with me early on about don't let being Black hold you back. And that you've got to figure out how to deal with this agony and pain and not be pissed off with people. And so I think what I learned from Emma, Emma Wright, Emma Reed, uh, was uh, accentuate the positive of this stuff, you know, and it's going to be stuff, Jim Crow lurking outside the house, Mm -hmm. but there's some love inside the house here. And there's uh, Mama you know, loves the kids, daddy, despite all of what he had went through during World War II. Uh, my dad was exhibit one of what war does to people when they go away. You know, there's always that beautiful picture of before and after, and he's this handsome guy. Do you have the picture, honey, of uh, Wilson pre the war? And he was just this Nice looking guy, you know. I don't know too much light, yeah. but anyway, <laughs> actually tilted down. We and got can... a glimpse of it though. Oh, there we go. Of course. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah, there right there. Yeah, that's right. So he left this guy, you know, in this nice, uh, good looking man, and he came back. And we describe in the book as uh, half a man, and um, he wouldn't talk about what had happened during the war. Um, he came back um, drinking alcohol beverages, and he was the later to um, have two families. So I was in the first family, June Bug and Mom Willie B, and 
Gail, Richard, and there were five of us, and I was the oldest of five of us. And um, he became a weekend drinker. So he became totally different from anybody else in the family, sort of a, in a sense, sort of a black sheep of the family. He had two families, like I said, five of us, and then he took up with Miss May, and there were three other children. But our grandmother just loved him. She just loved him and they just, he loved on him and nobody ever talked about. Daddy got arrested last night and he came home in a police car. Uh, Mama, grandma would just say, well, we just got to get some money and get him out and uh, that kind of stuff. But there was never any negativity about his behavior. But he um, was an interesting guy, but I made up my mind. I didn't want to be like dad especially the part of getting drunk and coming home in the police car. And at one point we were getting prepared for church and daddy came home and he had a patch on the side of his head. And I was like, dang, man, this is embarrassing. But we went on to church. But I learned from dad that maybe growing up, I should drink one glass of whatever <laughs> and not indulge too deeply. So after one drink, and maybe the possibility of drinking a second, I'm like, I got to go. Mm -hmm, so yeah. most of my life, I was running away from alcohol. And I found a home in the public library, in the segregated library. And I just would take out these books and travel to these different places by just reading. So I'm not sure to this day how I learned to read and write because mama was busy trying to raise us dealing with her illness, and dad was doing his thing. But the relationship we had was he was a mechanic sometimes, and I was his little guy that would go pick up, you know, the tools. June, go pick that tool up. And when I did bad stuff, he was the guy that uh, mom would talk to, and he mm -hmm. would get onto my uh, uh, butt oh, yeah. with, a, with a belt. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I have to bring up yeah. the library, the library. It saved my life. Yes. And we were talking, my dad was also drinks he owned bars here in bellevue so we had some issues with that a lot of issues with that and so the library and i again i don't know how i got a library card i don't have no mm -hmm. idea or how i got there but that's where i spent my life that right. was what saved me was really reading and i'm sure there was someone right. at the library that probably there was great librarians that were always kind and helped a little bit so maybe that's where you started learning was from well, it them I just say briefly, it was it's a free and environment. It's a free environment. You come and go. Most of what everybody has in common is they like books. So I like the cover of books, and then I would travel somewhere by looking at the cover. I'm like, mm. yeah. interesting cover there about Robert Kennedy or somebody that I knew nothing about. And the librarians and people were there was no judgment. They were just open. Come on in here and talk to me. What do you want? And I was like, well, I think I want this. And But even to this day, I just come back, go to the library and come back with 10 books. And there's no way I can get through all 10 of them. <laughs> but one of them is going to help me on a project I'm working on. I hope that's yeah. uh, that yeah. helps. So so you, you've talked about your parents and, and the struggles they faced. Um, and just again, living in the South, it, it makes me think about who were who were the 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 folks that inspired you. Who were the 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 people that that modeled success for you? 
um, growing up? Um, well, that's a great one. I think it was grandma, it was okay. the women. Um, it was the relatives that sought a quality education, even in that segregated environment. But I think it was early on, a friend took me to visit some friends, families in Yazoo City, Mississippi, and they had an air condition and I had never been in a house where there was air conditioning <laughs> and I had been around folks in yeah. bands and stuff. <laughs> and the lady was just so nice and I think she was educated and she says, and look, uh, Junior, you're gonna have your own room and it's air conditioned and you're gonna have a good weekend. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and one thing led to another, but she was sweet and she was, you know, talk to us about books. And it was just amazing. I'm like, air conditioned. Our air is not conditioned. <laughs> it's, you know, it's hot and there are mosquitoes running around, you know, biting on us and stuff. And that, I think I saw something different for people that had, for lack of other words, pull themselves up by the bootstrap. And so my story is really an amazing American story. It's it's very American. This is, I mean, this happened here in America. I mean, the difference is it was, I grew up in a segregated environment where the school was segregated, the church was segregated, the movie theaters were segregated. And all along the way in Junebug are stories about these, these segregated environments, that segregated school bus, the, um, going to the movies and you know the colored part was up top and us throwing popcorn down on white people and white people were like yeah well if you do this shit, we're gonna we're gonna come up and kick you guys butt you or, 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 or the fear the fear factor because you were safe in your home but just going out and because you know we've talked but also in the book the fear factor of right. you hearing your parents talk about someone who was mm. murdered i mean right at the table or you know it's like just this is what happened that's right that's right. I think the fear factor was always there and is probably still there today. And the line is, if stuff can go wrong, stuff can go wrong. And I have to be in a situation where some of that stuff does not spill over on me. So I think what happens is you live a life of just wondering, geez, there's some really nice people out here, but um, something could happen, you know? You don't want anything to happen, but I'm actually surprised sometimes how nice people are. <laughs> well, and, and it, you also talk about the woman who says, I know what's wrong with you. You're hungry. Exactly. And Mrs. Flowers, and I've yet to tell Timothy about his mother, maybe sneaking up to the house when he was gone, and Miss Flowers looking at me and saying, I know what's wrong with you. You're hungry. And I think the best part of what my story is about is, I didn't become overtly angry, and we call that hangry. I was <laughs> hungry. <laughs> I was. I tried not to become a very angry person. So when I found myself becoming a very angry person, I sought counseling at an early age for the alcoholism, the racism that I was dealing with, because I wanted to be successful. Not at you know, all. Was, was this in in the South when you started getting counseling, or was this after you left? It was after I moved up to Seattle. 
But I just found I couldn't do my job unless I was clarified, um, feeling good about myself, feeling good about others. I wanted to be a success. I saw success in my family, but I think it was the University of Washington for the first time meeting African-American professors, taking African-American studies classes, we call them black studies back in the day. And, you know, these professors did, they were just so nice and like, come by the office. I got a book for you. And David, uh, uh, Dr. Watkins, uh, Trevor Chandler, and meeting these men changed my life. I was like, what? And they were like, yeah, if you can get through this, you can do well. And so I went to a community college in Mississippi, and I, my joke is I made, majored in flag football, biz whiz, <laughs> and chasing girls. <laughs> and we were really pretty stupid kids, you know what I mean? And I was like, wow, if I can get a 2.3 or 2.4 for playing biz whiz and flag football, what could happen if I actually went to the library and studied every day hard? And I found myself, when I got to Seattle, I studied every day for two or three years and graduated in three years after going to Utica Junior College, which was a Booker T. Washington school, where we were bused to this school and not much happened there other than we would cheat on exams and try to do get something to try to get a C. You know what I mean? It was like, oh, that's a great grade, a C. But uh, yeah, I think hard work, growing up picking cotton and pulling corn and seeing people working really hard from sun up to sun down, place something in my heart that I don't like sweating. And this idea of picking cotton and, uh, you know, the women would pick 150, 200 pounds and men would be talking and they would pick maybe 150 pounds, but the women always picked more cotton and they could talk and all that stuff. And the men, we would just talk and maybe pick 150. But I, I could see the enslavement that my people and other people had experienced by being out there in that cotton field. So we're going to go to break. You're listening to Lift Your Spirits with Dina Marie. We'll be right back with more. Living is an art. How perfect could this be? Living is an art. Lift your spirits with me, Dina Marie, on Whidbey Island. I'll be a tour guide for your spirit and a travel agent for your soul. Retreats include a healing session for your body, your mind, and your spirit. You receive a Reiki session plus a chakra reading, experience a labyrinth in the woods, take a walk on the beach, and enjoy downtown Langley with me. Retreats are customized for you or a group of friends. You can visit dina-marie.com to connect with me today. Island time is waiting for you. Feeling the need to get away and reconnect with Mother Nature? Located on Whidbey Island, Earth Sanctuary is a peaceful and magical sculpture garden, nature reserve, and retreat center with two miles of nature trails, three bird-filled ponds, and a variety of powerful sacred spaces, including a labyrinth, stone circles, and medicine wheels. Come and enjoy the wonders of nature and experience personal renewal, spiritual growth, and healing today. Visit earthsanctuary.org or The Earth Sanctuary on Facebook for more information. 
Get ready for an adventure that will ignite you from the inside out. Join us for the Solation Backpacking Retreat, September 18th through 20th, 2023, in the Suquamish region of Washington. Immerse yourself in the beauty of nature, revive your spirit, and form deep connections with like-minded women. Experience the vibrant, alive wilderness like never before. Hike through lush forests, camp under the starlit sky, and find solace by tranquil waters. Visit SharonMoreen.com and email now for more information. Lift your spirits with us every Friday at 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. on 1150 AM KKNW Seattle. We will be introducing you to fascinating people, fun places to visit, and activities are guaranteed to lift your spirits. Miss a show? No worries. You can visit 1150kknw.com and click on our archive page or like Lift Your Spirits with Dina Marie on Facebook for upcoming guests and events. To contact me, Dina Marie, visit dina-marie.com. Thank you so much for listening. Alternative Talk 1150. Talk radio for the body, mind, and soul. Living is an art. Check that power of a smile. Living is an art. Say we jamming with the rhythm. Watch your smile. Thank you for joining <laughs> us this morning. <laughs> On the on the Zoom, I used to say on the phone, I have Harris Dwayne Smith and Wilson Reed. Thank you for joining me, both of you today. And Dwayne's my co-host. Go for it. Yay. <laughs> hey. <laughs> so I'm curious. You you make this journey from the deep south to to liberal hippieville, Seattle. Uh, <laughs> When did you decide to go into academia? You, you hinted a little bit about you didn't like to sweat. I get it. I always tell folks I had all these summer jobs that motivated me to stay in college, hot tar riffing, working in a flour mill, things of that nature. So I get it. But for me, I never thought, even when I was in undergraduate school, I never thought, hey, I want to be a professor someday. It hit me later on. For you, mm-hmm. when, when did you decide, you know, you wanted to go in the direction of academia? Well, I've had some twists and turns during my life. But after graduating from the University of Washington, an opportunity came up for me to apply for a job at Washington State University. Um, and I applied and got a job in a new program called Black Studies. Now, I had taken all kinds of classes, but I had not been a professor in the classroom. I had been specializing as a teaching assistant, and I had worked for all these professors. And all of a sudden, I got a job, I think, Washington State University, early 70s, $11,000 a year. And I got a little car, purchased a car, and the first, first time I went to Pullman was plane flight over. Second time, it was me and my little car driving to Pullman. And uh, I met some very interesting people at Pullman. And uh, it was a rough environment for me because I was I had moved from Seattle, which was very mm. urban, yeah. to Toulouse <laughs> in, the, you know, uh, uh, you know, a totally different environment. And I would go into safe ways or whatever and they would say to me jice what position do you play on the football team and I'm, excuse me i'm 
I'm an assistant professor. And I think that Pullman experience of meeting a friend, Dr. Quintar Taylor, and we're friends to this day. He's the uh, founder of blackpast.org. One thing led to another and just being around these people that love to impart knowledge. I think what I ended up really liking is students wanted to come by the office and chat with me. And they would say, well, I'm a little confused about this and I wanna rap with you, can I come by? And I think it started working that, you know, for in my mind that, geez, I've got something I can share. So I started reading more and more books and I read a diversity of books. So you note that I have a bachelor's in political science, African-American studies, a master's in political science, a master's in criminal justice, and a PhD in political, political science with emphasis on criminal justice systems. So I, uh, I just decided to go far and wide. You know, it's like a wide receiver, you know, going deep. And I uh, always wanted to be in a situation where I, when I became a senior citizen, I didn't have to uh, figure out how to make a living. And so the teaching, the, the school seemed like just a cool environment. Uh, like I said, the classroom was the kind of place I could create an atmosphere of having people get along with each other. And I learned the skill and the art of teaching from being a teaching assistant for years at Wazoo. And then I went to the University of Oregon, all these Pac-10 and Pac-12 schools. <laughs> and I was, uh, I just loved the environment. And Seattle, there was a lot going on in Seattle when I arrived. I mean, there was anti-war, there was all kinds of stuff going on on the campus and in the community. And I just fell right into it. I felt freer than I'd ever been in my life that people would meet me and say, well, why don't I just invite you over for dinner tonight? I'm like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and people, you know, would say, geez, I'm going to invite you over. My mom would really love you. I'm like, well, what about your dad? <laughs> <laughs> but I have to say about your, your teaching and, and the students coming to you and because of your upbringing, you, you probably had to be like, a I guess I was like that, too, like a mediator. Like you always felt like a fight was going to break out or something. So you learn to just be like this neutral kind of calm. And, and I think the library, you probably had those yeah. librarians be so kind to you that you just mm-hmm. learn that chose the good stuff and brought it forward and shared that with all your students. That's right. And I think that's what the show I wanted to be about is that we're all, and we learned this in high school. We all thought we all had, someone had the best life ever. And when, when we got to be adults and talked about what was going on in those homes, everybody was going through something, everybody. And now when I think the lift your spirits is like, okay, so something happens. What's the lesson? What can I, I call it time travel. What can I take forward? You know, so That's you go right. back, right. you, you see what happened, then you figure out, like, I did the same as you. I took what, what my parents did and I did the opposite, it, you know, That's with your father. And then you bring it forward and you share that with other people. So that's the gift of, the, of our life. Yeah. Well, people I've shared Junebug with, and we're probably over 200 people or more now that sent me notes and all that, is I learned from my boring experience that... Uh, there were two guys that I was working with 
I was hired in a program at Boeing where African-American leader had been killed. Edwin Pratt was assassinated in Seattle over 50 years ago. And I was one of the people that was on an Edmund Pratt scholarship, sort of like a training program at Boeing, uh, the summer of 69. Mm. And I didn't know all of what I was involved in, but I met some guys that, uh, let's just say, Harris, they were not two cool brothers. <laughs> and they didn't want to work. <laughs> and they kept talking about what they were going to do when they got their first check. And one cat said he's going to get himself a Cadillac. And another brother said he's going to get him a TR6. And he's going to go out to uh, 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 the racetrack yeah. and chase women. And I was like, you know, my problem is I'm a corny guy. I don't even actually know how to dance. Number one. <laughs> And number two, I love hanging out in libraries. And, uh, you know, I don't even know if I'm all that cool. And then when I would go to parties, people would look at my shoes and look at me and it's like, can I have a dance? And the women look at me, get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the library and the education environment became my home because I was not a party guy. And I, in the book, a couple of times, I mentioned my friend Lamar, Lamar Mills. I said, Lamar, uh, he's like, come on, let's go to the party and dance. And I'm like, he's from LA. So he's like, what? You don't know how to dance. <laughs> You're not cool. <laughs> and the guys I met at Boeing were like, what? You don't dance? And I'm like, well, I'm a serious guy. I like sitting in a corner. You know? <laughs> and they're like, we're not taking you to a party, dude. You're a corny. You're a cornball, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know what? That might have been the reason you've d excelled as much as you have. You know, Dwayne was super super good in high school, and he was my dance partner too. By the way, <laughs> we were we were yeah we were good dancers, <laughs> or, or at least we we thought we, we were, were back yeah. in the disco era. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I, I and you know even Dwayne said in our last interviews that he didn't get into drugs because he didn't want that to be part of his makeup either, you know, as being That's raised. Right. And I just think, right. I'm just so proud of both of you, I guess. <laughs> I'm, I'm proud of Dwayne because right. I've known him since he's just a little kid. He made some really good choices. He got scholarship and he took all that and, and, and plus he raised children all along too. So. Wow. Fun. Well, that's, that's a powerful story. I have, I'm a 73 year old guy with a 24 year old son and Ooh. I raised him <laughs> from <laughs> Probably ninth to tenth grade through the community college, and uh, he called me up a week ago and told me he loved me and says, "I dream had a dream. I was hugging you. What?" <laughs> so we talk about football, but I think uh, the story here is, and I would share with my students is, I can bring some powerful things into the classroom. I can bring some a sack of you know a big old thing of vinegar. I can bring some honey, and I think the spirit stuff for me is. I want to bring some honey in the room, not vinegar. The students are like, I didn't even sleep well. I didn't. I'm, I don't know about this honey stuff. I don't know about <laughs> this vinegar. And I'm like, look, man, you know, it's easier to have a smile and a good disposition than to be pissed off with your teacher because he's teaching a class at 7:30 in the morning. 
I gotta mention my grandma. She goes, you get more bees with honey, right? And then she said, you got mad in those pants, you can get glad in those pants. And that's my favorite <laughs> ever, right? <laughs> Never the same energy, right? Oh, those beautiful stories. There's a lot of truth in them, right? I want to talk about another one of your children. Um, and that's your PhD, your dissertation. Wow. So how did that come to be? Whoa, man, where is it, honey? It's, <laughs> ju- it's about this big. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I started out as a guy, as a political scientist, and I arrived at Northern Arizona University, the early 90s, when there was all kinds of stuff going on. And the biggest thing that was going on was conversation around community policing. And one thing led to another, and it it led to this, (laughs) and a book that I wrote on community policing. So I went into an area where I had never been a police officer. So I was a suspect. People are like, what? You're writing all this stuff on policing. You've never been a police officer. How do you know this stuff? And I would talk to the old guys that have been in policing, and they would say stuff to me like, son, all you need is to be ethical, moral, and legal. I'm like, wow, I can do that. I don't have to be a police officer to do that. So I just learned from talking to police, and eventually I would bring um, uh, police police officers into my classroom. I think what happened, when you get to that PhD, you know, you're uh, you've completed those comprehensive exams and you're climbing that ladder. You know, you've got two weeks of uh, comprehensive exams and then you have to develop a proposal to write the dissertation. And then you have to form a committee of people that like you, that you like and, and the like. And I kept trying to figure out what was going on in Seattle with these police shootings. I was like, why, why are they unable to talk to these people, you know? So my thinking is, uh, as my sister would say, it's easier to talk to somebody than it is to shoot them. So why why is it, uh, what is it that's missing skill-wise in some of these people where they are in a, in a, have an inability to just talk to somebody at a stop? And so I, I, I would work through that. And I eventually came back to Seattle one summer when I was, had any of you and drove all the way back to Seattle and interviewed over 50 people about community policing. And I found my niche because I had never been a police officer. The cops that were entrenched in the department always watched me and say, what are you up to? What are you really up to? You know, you're for out. And I'm like, no, man, I'm not interested in out you. I want to see if it's possible to do a form of community policing where you guys get out of your cars and talk to people like they matter, even the bad guys. And most of these bad guys were not all that bad. You know what I mean? I mean, what we found is about 5% of police officers or less in every department were doing some wild and crazy stuff. And in a community of a couple hundred thousand people, only about five to 6% of people are doing criminal behavior. So I learned a lot about myself. I learned about fear, that fear of crime is higher than crime. So I ended up attending a school in New York, State University of New York, Albany. Mm -hmm. 
My first tenure track position. Your first tenure track position. And that was first time I moved from Seattle all the way to the East Coast. And I froze my butt off. Yeah. But the, the blessing is my roommate was Canadian and he was like, man, where are you wearing all these clothes? Jeez, what's wrong with you? you? All you need is one down jacket. I'm like, I never thought about that. <laughs> In Mississippi, you just put on a lot of clothes and you'd be sweating. <laughs> and so his thing was, you need to be cool, man. Get yourself a really nice green <laughs> down and just wear it every day. And I was like, okay. So one thing led to another and we get this document which is uh, pretty amazing. The book, The Politics of Community Policing is still in publication. I don't make that much money off of it, but it's still out there. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, writing educational books, you're not gonna be able to retire <laughs> off of that, but, but right. they're impactful. That's the most important. That's right. Well, That's right. I want to uh, bring up Junebug because you're coming to town in November. That's right. And we're going to go out for coffee and have a nice chat. (laughs) Yes. And you can meet my way. And what's uh, the website? Where can we get your book right now? Because we know I know you have some of your own. Junebug. Junebug. How can we get it? The book. Junebug. Mississippi (laughs) Junebug.net. Mississippi Junebug.net. This was once in black and white and the editors got out to it. The publishers and changed him into a interesting little guy. Well, it's a super beautiful <laughs> cover and that's the covers him because we're on radio. No yes. one can see that, but it's a beautiful that's cover. Right. You can go to uh, Mississippi Junebug.net. That's right. Mississippi Junebug.net. I'm on Facebook as Wilson Edward Reed. We live in Henderson, Nevada. I'm easily, you, you, I have no problem finding me. I'm on LinkedIn. Junebug page, and I'm on something blackpass.org. So, yeah. And if you're on with Simon Okalo, I'm going to put that out for everybody <laughs> to hear, too. And I will be cool. so pleased to see you two yes, together. Yes, and then Dwayne Smith, he just left here from, he visited Woodby Island with me. We did the distillery, went to the beach. We even went to a speakeasy. <laughs> Ooh. I must tell anybody. Murdered, that's a secret. <laughs> what is a speakeasy? Oh, we were just basically taking a tour of the island, and and at day it's a yarn shop, and at night it has live music, and then that you have. Oh, right on. It's a couple that makes these little cocktails and stuff. But we went to the beach afterwards and watched the sun go down. But yeah, um, I want to say that relationships over time are a blessing because I think you said on the last show because when somebody knows you like they. We know each other. 90% of our conversations were about children, raising them, relation, all the other things that weren't going well in our lives. But we could have that conversation and get back on track. And there's times I helped you with your kids because mine are older. And there's times yeah, you yeah. helped me with my, my dating life because it wasn't very good. <laughs> he gave me lots of good advice. So one time he said, Dina, there's, you're, you're fine just the way you are, I think. And sometimes you want someone that knows you to... to uh, Lift your spirits. How's that? That's beautiful. Yeah. That's beautiful. Well said. Yeah, that's beautiful. Dina, you said something earlier about um, something coming to you, intuitive, into your life, a phone call. For me, once a week, there's a phone call that comes out of the blue 
Lamar from Seattle, um, across beer from Monterey, California. And cross it's because you, right. you have an angel on your back and it's your mom <laughs> and she's always with you. Did you know Thank that? You for, that's beautiful. <laughs> that's beautiful. Those are the final lines of the book, right? Are they? Oh gosh, <laughs> I'm I'm a little intuitive, really on this day today. But you know what? Is that we get inspiration from above. That's where it comes. And I know you're both like church. He said church, family, and schooling, and and those are That's super right. important. I know it's for Dwayne and his family, his kids. Definitely, and it's one of those things you've got to look up. You've got to find that higher higher thing that that leads you, and then you're living your purpose and your passion. And this book is your purpose and your passion. That's right. Well, it's uh, my roommate at SUNY Albany. Uh, he bought 10 copies of my book. And I kept talking about Junebug, and he says, Junebug is only a slice of your life. He says, you've lived a wonderful life, and this is a slice of it. So now I'm working on Junebug 2 <laughs> about how I earned a PhD, but I didn't get tenure. And so what happened to that June bug that had this great goal of getting this big prize, this big pot of gold, what he got was a pot of silver, not gold. And I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. But I set this big thing of this PhD and there were deaths in the family, divorces, you know, uh, raising my son alone, uh, facing this racism stuff, you know what I mean? And I decided, you know what? I think around 2017, I decided, you know, I can make more money on Social Security, <laughs> have less hassles, not have to worry about where to tie every day, and yeah. just find myself. So I found myself doing COVID, reworking some notes, reworking some notes. The book originally was called Mississippi to Seattle. And it's still, that's the theme. But I've I think I'm a very competitive person. I think Harris did to get through some of this stuff, you have to be really competitive. You have to want this and you have to uh, not want to be different than everybody else, but just be competitive. And as my uncle Large used to say to me, as a little guy and your mom and dad probably said it to you, this boy gonna make something out of himself. <laughs> We're not sure what it is, but you're gonna make something out of yourself. <laughs> and and to be and to be uniquely yourself and have the courage and listen to that higher voice when it tells you to get on a bus and and start right. your life over. But I want to thank you both for being on the show, Dwayne. It's always a pleasure to see you. And I, I want everyone to reach out to MississippiJuneBug.net. And we're gonna say goodbye. Thank you, you two. Hey, Doctor Reed, it was a pleasure. Thank you. I'll be. We'll be down to Albuquerque soon. Okay, we got plenty hey, of room. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful day now. Join us next week for more people, places, and activities that will lift your spirits.
you've got your brush and I've got mine. Hey, living is an art. Using the colors of the universe. Responsible for their heavy 